Uh, well, it really is a privilege to, to be here and uh, to see these baptisms and also to hear these wonderful testimonies. Um, I always think when I hear testimonies that they're so different and yet they're so similar. Uh, and even though they're all unique stories, uh, they all testify to the same grace of God in each one. So thank you for uh, sharing. And um, I, I want to talk to you today about another kind of story that I particularly enjoy. And this might be in a, a movie or a book. And it's the kind of story that has a surprising twist at the end. Do you know those kind of stories? So you get to the final scene of the film or the very last page of the book and there's a shocker. You know, something really surprising. I remember uh, years ago watching a film and in the very last scene of this film there was this massive surprise. And as the credits rolled, I just sat glued to my seat for about five minutes and my wife wondered what had happened to me. I couldn't even speak, which is very unusual for me. And um, I love those sorts of stories. I love those sorts of twists. And today I want to take you to a story that's a little bit like that. I want to take you to a story in the Bible that has a really shocking ending to it. So we're going to turn to Luke 18. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there. And if you don't, just listen along as I read you this story that Jesus told. So this is a story of Jesus with a surprising twist at the end. It's Luke 18. And we're reading from verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I wonder if you caught it. I wonder if you heard it. I wonder if you saw it. The surprising twist at the end of this story. It's a simple story. It's a story about two men praying. And the shocker at the end is that the really righteous guy, the really religious bloke, he goes home rejected by God. And yet there's this other guy who's not religious, he's not spiritual, he's a notoriously sinful man, and he goes home and God accepts him. And it's a real surprise as you're reading through the story, as you're reading about this really religious man, your assumption is that God's going to be very happy with him. That surely this guy is going to be in God's good books. But the shocker is that he is out. 
and the other guy is in. And what I want to say to you today is that if you can understand why that is, if you can understand why God rejected the religious guy and why God accepted the sinner, then you understand Christianity. If you get that, if you get why that is, then I think you're probably a Christian. Because this takes us to the very heart of the gospel and it shows us that this is a message of grace. So what I want to do is I want to just take a quick walk through the story. We're not going to be too long today, you'll be glad to know. And it's a tale of two men. Two massively different men who one day did the same thing. They both went up to the temple to pray. They both, if you like, went to church to pray to God. And the first man, we're told, was a Pharisee. He went to church this day and he stood at the front of the church and he prayed. Not something unusual for the Pharisee to do. Because this was a highly religious sort of guy. The Pharisees were the most scrupulous Jews. I remember uh, some years ago going onto a website um, and it was a web page. This is really weird. It was discussing... Jewish attitudes to snow, right? And it was talking about, you know, what you should do as a Jew if the snow falls on you on the Sabbath. Now, you might know this, that that Jews, they don't work on the Sabbath. They're not allowed to do any work. And so it was discussing, if snow falls on your jacket, are you allowed to shiggle your jacket to get the snow off? Or is is that working on the Sabbath? And so the article was saying, no, that's okay, You're allowed to shiggle off the snow, but you're not allowed to make a snowball. Because if you make a snowball, you're pressing the snow together and you're working, you see. Well, I think the Pharisee would have loved that sort of thing. I think he would have written that kind of article. They were highly religious and they were extremely moral. When the Pharisee says in verse 11... And not like the robbers, the adulterers, the evildoers. He's not stretching the truth. He's stating a fact. See, see, this guy is the sort of guy that didn't nick things from people. He didn't get involved in other people's marriages. He didn't do dodgy stuff. He, He didn't have a criminal record. And it wasn't just that he avoided all of the bad stuff. It was also that he did all of the good stuff. He fasted twice a week and gave a tenth of what he earned away. Now I wonder how many people in our society give away a tenth of their income to charity. I wonder. This is just a rhetorical question. Don't answer it out loud. I wonder how many of us give away, I mean voluntarily, give away 10% of what we owe to charity or to church this guy's unreal isn't he unbelievable he's really really generous he's really really good and every week of his life we're told that he fasted twice a week now this is not the 5-2 diet some of you might have done the 5-2 diet You know, where you drop the calories on two days of the week. No, this is not about health benefits. This guy did this for religious reasons. So two days every week, he totally fasts from food. 
Because he thinks that this will please God. And so here's what I reckon. I reckon that if this Pharisee walked into New Beginnings Church, or walked into my church, I think most people would think this is a great guy. I think if this was a woman, that everyone would think, what a spiritual woman. Church attender, prays a lot, doesn't do the really bad things, really is generous, and even fasts twice every week. What a person. Most of us would think that, wouldn't we? Surely that sort of person is in God's good books. And yet the remarkable, amazing, and frankly astonishing punchline in this story is that God didn't think so. God didn't agree. This temple-going, fasting, generous man, we are told, didn't go home justified. That means in the right with God. Now how is that possible? What was it that God saw in this man that nobody else saw and I want to suggest it's it's simply this that God saw this man's heart God saw underneath the surface of this man's life and he saw what was going on in his heart if you've got your Bible still open glance back at verse 9 just before Jesus tells the story notice why he tells the story to some who were confident of their own righteousness And look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. In other words, Jesus told this story knowing that there were some self-righteous, proud people listening to it. The sorts of people who like to compare their lives with other people and who think to themselves, I'm just that little bit better. I'm just that little bit nearer God. Jesus told this story for people like that. I remember having a chat with a guy who was coming around our church. And this this guy, he he did have a criminal record. He'd done some fairly unsavory things in the past. And he started coming to church because I think he thought it was time to start doing some good stuff. It was time to start getting back into God's favour again. And I was trying to share with him that the gospel is about the grace of God. It's about God being merciful to us no matter what we've done. But there was one day we were having this chat and and the name of another guy who had been coming to our church came up. Another guy from a difficult background. And and this friend of mine said to me, he, he said, you know, I feel so sorry for that guy. Because he's still living such a bad life and, and since I've come to church I'm doing a bit better than him. And what do you say to that sort of thing? You need to be honest, don't you, and say, it's wonderful that you're coming to church. But it's not about coming to church. It's not about coming and singing and praying and giving. Although all these things are good if you do them from the right heart. But the key thing is not the doing. It would be a huge mistake for us to come to a baptism today and think, well, Stephen and Jane and Rachel have done something really Christian and really religious So I need to get more religious. Maybe I just need to come to church more often. Maybe I'll get baptised. Maybe that would be a good thing. And we need to understand that none of these things mean anything 
if they come from the wrong heart. You know, here's the scary thing about this parable. It shows that it is possible to be totally religious and utterly lost. It's possible to be religious and lost. There's a Christian writer that I quite like to read, called Tim Keller, and he was tweeting this week, and I thought this tweet needs to be repeated in the sermon. This really fits in. This is what he, he said. What keeps people from receiving God's grace is not so much their sins, but their good works. Do you see what he's saying there? That what, what might keep us back from God is not, it's not always the fact I think, well, I'm too much of a sinner. But for many people, what keeps us back is we actually think that we're good enough. And what he's saying is he's saying that good works can actually keep you out of heaven if they are what you are relying on. Good deeds don't get you to heaven. Jesus gets you to heaven. Grace is what gets you to heaven. And and so this brings us then to man number two. And what a contrast he is, this tax collector. Now I don't reckon that tax collectors have ever been that popular. I'm really sorry if you are a tax collector, by the way. But um, it must be a conversation stopper. Sometimes I think it is if, if I'm chatting to someone and they don't know me and I say I'm a pastor. Quick change of the subject. It must be even worse if you're a tax collector. Eh? Total silence when you tell them your job. But these folks were utterly despised. They were really hated in Jesus' day. They were seen as being collaborators with the foreign government. And they were absolute cheats. These guys didn't give away 10%. They took an extra 10%. They robbed people in broad daylight. They exploited. They overtaxed. In fact, if the Pharisee wasn't the robber and he wasn't the evildoer and he wasn't the adulterer, then the tax collector probably was all three of those things. This is the sort of guy whose funeral you would struggle to take honestly as a minister. You've always got to speak nice about people at a minister, at a funeral rather. And you just know that if you were talking about this nice guy, everyone would be shaking their head and going, no he wasn't. He wasn't a nice guy. He wasn't a good guy. And maybe he had come to realise that. Maybe that's what had brought him to church on this particular Saturday. And as the Pharisee is standing at the front of the church, and as he's praying proudly up to God in heaven, the tax collector is standing up at the back wall. And he cannot lift his head to heaven. Such is his shame. And he cannot puff out his chest. Such is his sin. And he beat his breast. Which in that culture was a sign of grief. And he cried out to God. Very simple prayer. God have mercy on me. A sinner. Do you see the contrast? Man number one, he's standing at the front of the church. He's telling God how good he is. And man number two, he's sitting up the back and he's telling God how bad he is. And he's saying, God, 
Unless you are merciful, I am a goner. But the wonderful thing is that God is merciful. Christianity, listen, if you've got the wrong idea about it, I want to just try and correct it gently today. Christianity is not a system of merit. Christianity is about salvation by mercy. There's an old author who who said it like this. He said, the only thing we bring to God in our salvation is our sins. That's all we bring. The sins that made our salvation necessary. All we've got to offer God are messed up lives and sinful hearts. But if we will come humbly, if we will come empty, if we will come with nothing in our hands to God, nothing to offer him, then God actually will have something to offer us. His grace, his salvation and his forgiveness. It's absolutely free. That's the wonder of it. The cost is a cost that he has paid, not one that you pay. There's a great illustration at the end of Jesus' life when he was dying on the cross and paying the price that our sins deserved. There were different people around the cross. And there was actually a bunch of religious people. And the religious people who were there, they didn't get the cross. They didn't see the significance of it. They didn't grasp the meaning of it. And they certainly didn't think that they needed it or they needed this man who was hanging there dying for the sins of the world. And then we see another man in that scene. We see a criminal who was hanging on a cross next to Jesus. We see a man who had obviously lived a sinful life. Not just condemned by God's court, but condemned by the court of man. Hanging, dying, under the condemnation of his crimes. With nothing, I mean absolutely nothing, to offer God in that moment. No no deal that he can strike. No negotiation. What does he do? He simply cries out to Jesus for mercy. And what does Jesus do? He responds by accepting him. And he says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because God doesn't save through a merit system. He saves because of his mercy. He saves because he is kind. He saves because of the cross. I I finish this morning by saying this, that there may be two groups of people that need to hear this in particular. Um, The first is the sort of person who's really nice, who's really, really moral, really good, and... You have a view of Christianity that's a bit like the Pharisee. And you're doing all the right things, or at least you're trying to do many of them. And maybe people around you think they've got it all together. And yet you have missed the mercy of God. You've missed the mercy of God. You've missed actually what it's all about. And I want to simply say to you today...
Don't let your good works keep you out of heaven. Don't, sit, don't respond by saying, I need to do more and pray more and go to church more and be religious more. Respond by saying, Lord, I am a sinner in need of your mercy. So that's the sort of religious person or religious mindset. Here's the other type of person, the total opposite sort of person. Maybe you're a bit more like the tax collector. Maybe on a normal Sunday, you don't feel like you're worthy enough to come to church. Maybe as you come into a church like Greenview, you're thinking, you know, everyone else in here seems to have their life sorted. I could never do this sort of thing. I could not be as sorted as the people who come to New Beginnings. Let me let you into a secret. Nobody at New Beginnings has got their life sorted. Because we all have sinful hearts that need to be forgiven and need to be changed. The shocking punchline of this story is that a man whose life was in a mess went home this day justified and in the right with God. He hadn't done anything spectacular. He simply prayed a sentence and pleaded for God's mercy. I wonder whether this is a a sentence that you could utter today. And it's not just about saying the sentence. It's not a matter of mechanics. But as the Holy Spirit softens your heart and convicts you of your need, it's about praying it from the heart. God, have mercy on me. Is that a prayer you could pray? God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Amen. May God bless his words. And if you want to talk through any of these things, then please do come and speak to Graham or some others afterwards.